turn to Romans 14. Last time, I believe we got through the first four verses here in Romans 14. And so I'm going to pick up and read 5 through 12. One man esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regards the day regards it unto the Lord, and he that regards not the day to the Lord he does not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not to the Lord, he eats not and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your holy word. And Lord, we much to rejoice for this day. And we rejoice that your word is truth and that the Holy Spirit is in this room now, taking your very word and applying it to every soul here. And so now I ask for preaching grace and I ask for hearing grace and that the word would come like a hammer to break our cold hearts and that we would be humbled and that we would willingly submit to the King of glory. These things I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Every one of you has a soul that is eternal, and you're on your way to your final destination. This morning as I heard a story uh, came across radio, I think. Uh, there was a wreck. A man had gotten up the, on that morning, Tuesday morning. He was coming east on Interstate 20. He was driving too fast and reckless. He took the exit ramp onto 75 South, ran into a tree, and ended up at his final destination. Probably not the place he had planned to end up that day. And it just made me stop and consider. I was thinking of the book, For Whom the Bell Tolls, It Tolls for Thee, that used to be the practice in villages, small towns, that any time somebody died, they would ring the church bell, and that sound would reverberate throughout the community, and everybody would pause and consider how serious death is because we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
as we're getting into this part of Romans here, the practical part about how we are to live together in community, Paul comes to the kind of the climax in the middle of this when he says the reason why it's important on how you treat each other and love each other is because we're all going to stand before Christ's judgment seat. The whole purpose of Jesus' church is summed up in Ephesians 3.10 when he said, It is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So the, the church of Jesus Christ, those whom he's called out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of light, He has equipped. He's raised us from the dead spiritually. He's given us His Holy Spirit. And we are being prepared for the day that our souls will be separated from our body. And the great wonder of the principalities and powers in heavenly places is that God is able to save us. It's almost like they're sitting around saying, God has gathered this motley crew together and He's redeeming them and He's he's changing their hearts and their characters right now in such a way that they're a marvel to the world and to the spiritual beings in heavenly places. And so Paul is going through in chapter 14, 15. It really started back in chapter 12, the, ch- the practical part of Romans. He's saying, if you are justified by faith, this is how you're to live. You're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the groundwork of all of that is humility. And then he tells us, you've got to love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're to overcome evil with good. And he ended up, Chapter 13, with a great sense of urgency, talking about the day is far spent. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. That urgency carries over into chapter 14 as now, in talking about eating and drinking and observing holy days, he winds up saying, why is this so important? Because the judgment. And today we'll see maybe how that's true. Love your neighbor as yourself, and so keep the moral law. One of the longest sections we mentioned last time in Scripture is this section in 14 through the first part of 15, and talking about how we treat each other. And he spent so much time on it because it's not easy. And I heard a pastor say it this way, Love in non-essentials is essential. How we love each other in non-essentials is essential. This section of Scripture in 14 and 15 is talking about Christian liberty. We talked a little bit last time about what is Christian liberty. And we'll continue to talk about that as we go through chapter 14. Last time I tried to establish this this main understanding is that you are made in God's image with the ability to think, to reason, to discern, and to judge. And we are prone to do that sinfully. And that's what Paul is dealing with here in chapter 14. 
And I will point out that you've already been doing that in this service so far about how things have gone. Maybe. And if you're doing that in a harsh, critical, judgmental way, that is sin. But God has given us this great ability to think and to reason and to judge for good. And He's given us instructions on how to do that. And the reason He takes so long is this is not easy. I mentioned last time also about how Christians are prone to dump on each other and to put the chasm in the wrong place. Francis Schaeffer said Christians, rather than putting the chasm between the rich man and Lazarus where it belongs... We put this chasm between each other and being harshly critical and judgmental and nitpicking about every little thing. And so we have instruction on how we are not to do that. So, brothers and sisters, you must love each other by giving each other's conscience the freedom to have convictions that are different from yours. For your judge stands at the door. And so we'll pick up in verse 5 and beginning with our first point and talking about how we are to love each other. One man esteems one day above another Another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regards the day regards it unto the Lord. He that regards not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not to the Lord, eats not God and gives God thanks. So this word here, esteem is translated judge in Matthew 7.1. Judge not lest you be judged. That same word that's translated esteem here in verse 5 is translated in Romans 8.5 as mind. For they that are after the Spirit do mind the things of the flesh. So one man esteems one day above another. One man judges one day above another. One man minds one day above another. But we are all to be fully persuaded in our own mind. In context, in Rome, there were Jews and Gentiles in that church there. And you had the Jews coming out of the long historic tradition of the Sabbath day and other holy days on feast days. And then you had the Gentiles who were coming out of a pagan tradition. So there's a very clear difference there between what they thought about holy days. In the United States, we have often had a, what we call a holiday calendar. And over time, those holidays have derived from different traditions The main thing that Paul is saying right here, the command, the imperative verb is let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind. And so get a conviction on these things. I went through and examined holidays and did all that research at some point in time in my life and I came to a conviction on those. 
And we have different convictions on whether to celebrate particular holidays or not. And I think overall in this congregation, we've done a good job in not making that an issue. But I'll have to tell you this also. He's talking about weaker brethren here and stronger brethren. So all of us are on a life's journey of growing in grace and wisdom. And I will tell you where I wound up on those particular issues when I was a new believer are different now because of my growth in grace and maturity. I mean, when I first came to convictions because of the weakness of my faith, I came out too harsh, offended some family members, and I had a lot of zeal without any knowledge. And I thank God that over time that He has instructed me. And so as we look at each other on these things, depending on how old you are, where they are in the walk of faith, we got one starting out, right? Let's have patience with each other. And when we look at each other in convictions that we've come to on things like eating and drinking and diet and holidays, let's look at each other and say, you know what? They're, you know, at this age, I remember where I was at that age. I, you know, I have to do that a lot with teenagers. I have to keep saying, I remember where you were when you were a teenager. And that helps because I was a mess. So let's be patient and kind toward each other. Let's try to have that wisdom of understanding that God sees your whole life from beginning to end. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He knows your whole story. And He's working in your life. And He's kind and patient and long-suffering, much more than we are, isn't He? And He gives us this wonderful thing called the conscience. Conscience. And He says, be fully persuaded. Use it. Use it to my glory. Get a conviction and let's all give each other the freedom to have convictions of conscience on non-essential matters. Every one of us will have different customs and observations. And everybody that's in Christ through faith and through justification are at liberty in Christ to have differences of opinion. And we should rejoice in that. We should recognize how valuable this precious thing the conscience is. There's a place where the scriptures teach us there are those who have seared the conscience as with a hot iron. Oh, that's a terrible place to be. But to have this conscience and to have a tender conscience, to be able to have the Holy Spirit instructing us, and as we read the Bible... To have our conscience twinged. And to respond to that and say, Lord, I just felt something there. What's going on in my conscience? And as I'm reading this text of Scripture, and we, through that conscience and the Word and truth, are growing in grace and holiness, and we should be using it that in such a way, so when the world sees the church, they don't see a bunch of people strife and division. But they see something that's so amazing it must be supernatural. Right? Isn't that? We, we want them to see the glory of Christ and His patience and long-suffering with us. We want to show that towards one another. And so we give thanks for our liberty 
and how we use it is important. It's essential. And we're not to use that liberty, as we mentioned last time, to engage in sinful lust. That is taught elsewhere. In Colossians 2, we have a cross-reference with this verse here in Romans 14, 5, and 6. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And related to eating and drinking, there is a cross-reference here in 1 Timothy 4.4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. How does this work out? Well, you know, have y'all ever met somebody that has a particular diet and they're, they're feeling better, you know, and they're so amazed by this diet that they just want everybody else to eat the way they do? I might have been like that at a time or two in my, my life. But, uh, but we should have the wisdom to be able to step back and realize that everybody is trying to figure those things out too. You know, what's best for their body and what works best and how to eat and how to keep control of the appetite. We're all working on those things. So if we see something amiss in a brother or sister, again, using that judgment and discernment, we, we go immediately to the Lord and say, Lord, I see this thing in my brother or sister. Oh, I love them. And I, I just pray that you would help them with that, whatever that thing is that's amiss. Please help them. So let your neighbor have their convictions because what they're doing, they are doing to the Lord. And the next thing, the next reason why we are to be careful in non-essential matters is because of the Lordship of Christ. Beginning in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. The Lordship of Christ. Every one of you, if you be in Christ a believer in Christ, have taken up your cross to follow Him. He is Lord of your life. What you do with your body is sober and serious. And what you do with your mind and your judgment is serious. In Romans 6-7, Paul had told us this and talking about how we use these bodies that God has given us. He said, For he that is dead is freed from sin. And then in verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And one of the great lusts of the mind is wanting to be God. Adam and Eve put themselves in the place of God and we suffer from being in that state of sin with the old nature that's still present. 
And that old nature wants to be God, wants to judge. And one of the reasons why that old nature wants to judge all of our brothers and sisters is to try to make ourselves feel better about the fact that we are the ones who are sinners. And so we have to be careful with that. Don't let sin reign in your body. What we do in our bodies is important. The wages of sin, he would end that Romans chapter 6 with this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our convictions must be solid and our judgments must be gracious in how we love one another. For none of us lives to himself and no man dies to himself. We are not our own. You were bought with a blood price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God, here it is again, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So how we use this body and mind and judgment toward each other in non-essential matters is important. It's essential. We live each day unto the Lord, not ourselves. And we daily have to get up and say, Lord, help me keep you on the throne. And that's mainly manifest in what my heart is desiring. Because worship is nothing more than the desire of the heart. When we desire Christ above all things, that He is on the seat of worship. And all the other planets of our life will be in their proper orbits when we keep Him there. But that's a fight of faith to keep Him there. He is the Lord of all. And we will all die in the Lord. Here's the sober reality. Paul is setting forth the Lordship of Christ in view of eating and drinking and non-essential things. Things that seem to be not important. But he's saying the way that we judge and reason and think about each other in these matters is important because that's my slave, not yours. And one day that slave is going to die and the Lord purchased that slave both in life and in death. And for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that He might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. It reminds me of the time when the Sadducees came to Jesus Christ and they were arguing about the resurrection. You remember that? And, uh, and Jesus says, God is not the, dead, the God of the dead but of the living Because he said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. And Jesus hinged all of that argument there on present tense verb. Well, Jesus is present tense, your Lord, now and forever. And we need to remember that everybody else, too, is accountable to him. And so we live each day unto the Lord, not unto ourselves. We are Christ's friends, Christ's purchased possession, Christ's holy bride, and Christ's slaves. 
He bought us, washed us, and He is preparing you. He's continuing to prepare you. As husbands are given the command to wash their wives with the water by the Word, He is still doing that with right now in this room. Through this Word, He's washing you, and the Spirit is convicting you about these things, thinking, you know what? I need to pay more attention about how I'm thinking about brothers and sisters. And this glory of this amazing risen Christ is seen and that we hear Him and we listen to these words and we obey that. So when people look at the church, they say, how do they do that? They're coming from different walks of life, different socioeconomic levels, and yet they love each other. And they care for one another. He said, they will know you by your love. We respect each other's convictions and we allow people to live according to those convictions in non-essential matters. This is the very purpose of Christ, the end of Christ, to be our Lord. He laid down His life for us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And that He died for all, that they which live should not from now on live to themselves but unto Him which died for them and rose again. We live now not for ourselves, but for Him. How are you doing with that? Revelations 1.18, Christ says, I am He that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. That's the Lord. He's got the keys of your life and your death and your resurrection and your everlasting life. Are you living day to day in such a way that you're glad to be His humble servant? Saying, thank you God. I was a slave to sin and lust and self and miserable judgmental, pharisaical, legalistic, and just miserable. And then you redeemed me. And you saved me. I'm so glad now that I have been set free from slavery to sin that I can now be your slave to be truly free. In Acts 25.10, I was thinking about this verse as I was thinking about judging one another and how this is always going on. We're doing it all the time. You meet somebody on the street coming towards you. You have a tendency to size them up, you know. We have a tendency to make quick judgments based on superficial information or outward appearance or speech or dictation which are superficial, that's not wise judgment. But as we see somebody coming toward us, as we're looking at each other, we should be thinking, God made that eternal soul. However it looks on the outside or talks or speaks, that's an immortal soul. And God made it. It it could be one of His beloved. 
Is there anything I could do to show mercy on that one? Paul said in Acts 25.10, he said, Then said Paul, they were telling him, Do you want to go back? Why don't you just go back to Jerusalem and be judged by your brothers there? And he knew what would happen there. So he said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I've done no wrong. And you know that very well. Well, You know what? We all don't stand at each other's judgment seat. We stand at Christ's judgment seat. Which leads us to the third point. We will be judged by Christ in verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So again, Paul pressing home this point. Christ is Lord. It's Christ's servant, not yours. Be kind in your assessments of it. Don't despise them, the first command of this chapter. Don't despise them, don't judge them, because they have a Lord, they have a judge. He brings it home there in verse 10 with a rhetorical question. Why do you judge your brother? Why are you judging your sister? And this is talking about a sinful judgment again, because there is a place where we must Restore those fallen in sin. In love, according to Galatians 6.1. You that are spiritual, if somebody's fallen into sin, you're to go to them and restore them. How? In a spirit of meekness. Lest you yourselves also fall into sin. Judge not. Don't despise your brother, for we shall, future tense, we shall, all stand, that's a fact indicative, before, that means right there, to place beside, right at Christ's Bema seat. And so this sober reality of standing before Christ Not just then, but now. We are always in His presence and in His view. Remembering that and keeping that in view of our conscience will keep us from making foolish judgments and harsh critical statements against each other. To emphasize the importance of this, and he does this repeatedly throughout Romans, he will say, for it is written. And then he'll quote from the Word of God, bringing the authority of the Word of God to bear. Even though Paul is speaking the Word of God, he brings it in. It is written. And he quotes here from Isaiah 45, 22 through 23. Look unto me, and be you saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. And so before he mentions judgment there, Isaiah, he says, Look unto me, and be saved. 
before we get there. For I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. So Paul quotes from that to bring home this emphasis that your little sinful judgments that you might be making are prone to make towards each other, even sinful politicians. You need to be careful because there's a big judgment coming. And there are several judgments. And I want to look a little bit about this. I want to try to just pause here a little bit talking about judgment to think about this because this is where the gravity of Romans 14 falls. There are several judgments. There's a series of judgments on the earth in Revelation 6 through 11. The beast and the false prophet are judged in Revelations 19. It looks like a, a unique judgment. The Gentile nations in Psalms 2. It's a judgment taking place on them. The beast and the false... I already mentioned that, sorry. Um, Satan in Revelations 20. Unbelievers in Revelations 20. But this judgment for you is different. Why? Because Paul's already told us that in Romans 8, right? What does Romans 8, 1 say? There's therefore now no condemnation. You've already been justified once and forever. So what is this judgment that we will come under? Well, Paul said, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you be one of God's elect, you will be born again by the Holy Spirit. You will be raised to newness of life. You will be united to Christ by faith where all spiritual blessings in heavenly places are now at your disposal. Christ said, I will send you my Holy Spirit who will bring you into all truth. I will send preachers of the word to you with the gospel. And that new resurrected life is headed in a 180 degree different direction than the old life. And what you sow, you will reap in the judgment. And everyone that's in Christ is sowing fruits of righteousness. You are. And you are bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You are. And in that judgment day, all of the works of your life that are brought forth for Christ's glory will be the evidence that you were saved, that you were one of God's own. And yet, we read that we will be judged by our words in Matthew 12, 36-37. I think this particularly comes to bear on this text in Romans where it says, don't despise or judge each other sinfully. He said, but I say unto you in Matthew 12, 36, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. Think about that. The gift of speaking words, again, part of being made in God's image. How did God create? He spoke and it stood fast. God, being God, when He speaks, it's eternal, permanent. Reality. And we, as image bearers, have this great gift to speak. And words are important 
And all of you know how much misspoken words can hurt. Sticks and stones, you know that little saying? That's not true. It hurts when people speak. A husband can wound a wife and cause her to wilt through harsh words. And vice versa, a wife can speak words that are not encouraging or edifying to the husband. Children, if they hear harsh words in a house, can wound them as it wounds the marital relationship. Today, with all of this technology, people are spewing rattlesnake poison all over each other through Twitter and all of this stuff, and the worst part of humanity is being revealed. And yet, the church of God can use those tools for good and bring forth grace and truth and words of truth. So we will be judged by our words, every idle word. That makes us stop and consider a little bit about what we're saying. Our talents in Luke 16 and Matthew 25, I think it's clear there. God has given you talents. And as you read that, those men that came, when the Lord came back to give an assessment for those talents, they were delighted to be able to show the Yeah, Lord, you gave me these talents, and here, look what I've done with them. It was a time of joy when that master came back, came back for the assessment for all but one. Matthew 6 says, Do not lay up treasure on earth. You cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. You can't serve God and money. Money's dangerous. And we all as Americans are in that danger. How you spend your time. How do you spend your time? God has given you the life and life more abundantly. My child, He's given you liberty and freedom and a certain amount of free will in your life to be able to go out and to rejoice and to enjoy life. All things He's given us, He's given us to rejoice in and to take joy in. And yet, for all these things in Ecclesiastes, He says they will be brought into judgment. How are we using these wonderful, glorious things He's given us? The day of judgment is a serious and sober time, but for the believer, there's no condemnation. It's already been paid for. It's going to be a time when we come there. And I was talking about this with my son-in-law yesterday, and I was saying, you know what? Even if we come to that judgment seat and every sin was laid out, every idle word, every misuse of time, every misuse of money, even if that was all laid out, on that day, we would be rejoicing saying, and He paid for that one too! Hallelujah! And 2 Corinthians 5.10 backs this up. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. It's all statements of fact. Must appear that we may receive. Galatians 6.7 Be not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever a man, a woman, sows, that shall they also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And in Colossians 3.24, another cross-reference for this, knowing that the, of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. That judgment's going to be a receiving of the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there's no respect of persons with God. There's nobody that's going to be able to stand up on that day and said. I gave X number of dollars away to the poor or this or that. None of that's going to mean anything on that day. But Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Paul is bringing in this judgment to emphasize how important it is, how essential it is that we love each other in non-essential things, that we not bring harsh judgments upon each other. And through the Word, He's helping us to do that better. I hope the Lord will bless the Word to help you do that better this day. As He is getting glory through the church and how we love each other. In Revelations twenty two twelve, He says this, the Master, I, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. What is the record and the evidence of your life this past week? And how you've used your tongue, your discernment, your judgment. What is the fruit that you have brought forth this past week? Could be you've messed up. Well, glory be to God. 1 John 1, 9, if we've sinned, He's faithful to forgive us of our sins. Then repent of that sin and say, God, help me do better. Don't just keep on. Help me to do better. Maybe today you've never called on the name of Christ and the Spirit is moving in your heart to say, you know what, I'm tired of being miserable and being harsh and critical or worrying about what other people think. Lord, I pray that you would help me. I want to repent of my sins and take up my cross. I pray that the Lord would lead you to do that this day. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved.